Welcome to the Lit Matters Podcast, a show whose journey is to discover the books that matter, the stories that we should all be reading. I'm your host, Chris Evans, and I've devoted decades in education examining this very topic. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest, fellow teachers, librarians, writers, and lovers of books from all walks of life who will advocate for a single transformative book, one that we should all be reading. Through this podcast, I hope to build a collective bookshelf of amazing stories, lit that matters. One of my favorite writers is Maurice Sendak, the author and illustrator of Where the Wild Things Are and In the Night Kitchen. He was a rebel, a rule breaker, a scofflaw when it came to children's books. But behind that genius, there was always a plan. He said that children live on familiar terms with disrupting emotions. Fear and anxiety are an intrinsic part of their everyday lives. And through fantasy, they achieve catharsis. He said it's the best means they have for taming wild things. That's what books can do. They can help us cope with those wild things, whether we're eight or whether we're 80. So let the wild rumpus start. Let's start today. Today, we are joined by someone who knows a little bit about books and the impact they can have on children, Pat Burns. Pat is the executive director and co-founder of the Orange County Children's Book Festival, which if I'm not mistaken, has just celebrated its 17th year. And it's one of the largest children's book festivals in North America. Pat is the author of the best-selling book, Grandparents Rock, the grandparenting guide for the rock and roll generation. And she is a celebrity journalist and film reviewer for Grand Magazine. And Pat is also a dear, dear friend. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. So thrilled <laughs> to be on your podcast. What a great intro talking about the wild things, because I kind of believe that's a little bit you. Hey, I can be Max any day. Put me in that boat. Send me to that land of wild things. I am ready to go. In so many ways, Pat, you really got me started down this road for, 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 for this podcast, because uh, luckily I've been able to do some interviews for you for the book festival. And it, it made me think about teaching and books in a very different way. So it's fun to be on the other side of this microphone at times. So I, I certainly have you to thank for that. Um, I do want to talk a bit about the Orange County Children's Book Festival. But before we get there, I always ask this question of all of my guests. So, so Pat, what is your history, your origin story with reading? Were you always a reader? Or you, where, where did you sort of get this love for books? Oh, Chris. Thank you for asking such a poignant question. It most particularly it, with, with regard to myself. Uh, I grew up in a large family, five kids, and I was the oldest daughter. I had an older brother. And, uh, you know, the, um, the lifestyle of a large family is you're always taking care of the one under you. And then there was another one. And then there's another one. And, you know, they just kept coming. So my job was really to help you know, raise the kids mm -hmm. as my mother was having more and more of them. Therefore, there was nobody that sat at my bedside and read to me. And, you know, I didn't know that I missed anything. However, as I grew up and went through school, I did have a real challenge with reading. I'm not one of those book lovers that can sit down and like barrel through a 400 pager. You know, I, I judge whether I'm going to buy a book by the width of it. <laughs> if, it's, if it's more than an inch and a half, I, I just think, no, can't do that. I don't have the next six months to read that book. 
I'm a slow reader. I'm a, I'm a poor reader. I need to reread things, uh, passages. I need to uh, look up words in the dictionary. I, I really do struggle with reading and I do pinpoint it to not getting that bug, that hint of magic and wonder and imagination that comes from being read to. So knowing that I struggled with that, I thought, I don't want others to have to go through this kind of adulthood. And so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and talk about the fact about this book festival. My business partner at the time, Barry Ackerman, came up to me after watching me work a conference uh, for two best-selling authors. I was their president of our company. And he came to my door and knocked at the door and said, I, I have this great idea I want to talk to you about. And I said, Barry, I have too much on my plate. Come back and see me in six months. I can't even, I don't have the bandwidth. Don't go away. And I mean, six months to the day. I hear a knock at my door and there's Barry. And he said, it's been six months. And I said, here's my rule. When people want me to take on a project, because that's what I've done almost my whole adult career is take on projects. He said, I have this idea. And I said, well, you need to give me five hours of your time on my patio with a yellow pad, two pens, and we got to write down who we are because we did this. What, what, how are people better because we did this? What is the end game? What is the outtake? And he, we sat down and talked about forming a children's book festival for Orange County. Now, he was on the team that built the LA Times Festival of Books. So he already knew a little bit about doing this. And I looked at him and I said, and it was on that yellow pad, that I want to help children be inspired to love reading and love books. Because I know from my own experience that that will improve them as adults with their reading. So it's a long story that kind of combines how did I start the book festival and my own story of books. So my decision was to take this on. And we 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 had a big vision. We, we thought we would take this thing nationwide, right? But lo and behold, it just do one city, it was enough, one county, plenty. Well, you know, I think that the book festival certainly transcends more than more than one city and one county. It, it's quite it's quite the spectacle. I mean, it is filled with the Star Wars 501st Legion. There are, you know, art centers, there's astronomy tables set up, there are face painting booths, there are authors of all types. It, it is quite wonderful. And I certainly, I know I'm going to ask you this question later. I certainly hope we'll get back to, to, to be able to have a live version of that festival. And we'll talk about the virtual as well, too. I'm curious, does does sort of starting this book festival and connecting with all of these different children's writers, has it helped bond you with your own children or your own grandchildren uh, as they became readers? Well, most definitely with my grandchildren, of which I have four absolutely perfect grandchildren <laughs> and, uh, and actually one great-granddaughter as well. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they think this is the coolest thing ever. They would meet authors. Uh, my oldest granddaughter, who was 15, 
is an avid reader. And I remember uh, when my oldest grandson, who is 27, when I, I bought him his first Harry Potter book and I sat would sit and read to him. And fortunately, you know, he didn't mind that I was a slow reader. And uh, I kind of made up some of the names that I couldn't pronounce anyway. And so we, um, we've always had a connection with reading. Uh, when my grandchildren have a sleepover, they can hardly wait to have me read to them. And we read every kind of book from silliness to seriousness to life-changing to morals to, to the, inspiring their imagination. And it is one of the most enjoyable times of my day when I can sit and read with those kids. And I see it at the book festival. I see kids run up to an author, someone that they've read their book, or they want to know about their next one, and their faces light up. Their, their, their faces just sparkle, and the joy in their voice. One year, I was following two young girls out of the book festival, each carrying a heavy bag of books. One little girl, maybe 10, the other one 11 or 12. She looked, a little 10-year-old looked at the older girl and said, you know what? This was more fun than Knott's Scary Farm. And I was blown away because Knott's Scary Farm is a big amusement park. And that Halloween time, when all of that crazy wild stuff is going on, I felt like I had achieved my goal right then, right there with those two little girls. If I can put kids and books together in a fun environment of which you just mentioned, face painting, balloons, arts, crafts, uh, music, dance, science, robots, Star Wars. If they walk away and say, who knew books could be so much fun? That will continue to inspire not only the children, but their families, which is why so often when I run into people and I say, yeah, I'm the co-founder of the Orange County Children's Book Festival. We love that event. It's on our calendar year after year. Thank you so much for doing it. You know, I, I love hearing that they know about it and that it's already on their calendar and they love it. So that that's a huge win in my life. Yeah, reading is certainly a, a family experience, and the book festival is a family experience. I think you're right. You you see parents walking around who recognize this sort of magical feel as well. Too, they're just as excited as the children, and, and I certainly agree. As someone who you know read Harry Potter to my children when they were in the womb, uh, it's it, it, we've we've made it a family affair. So, so Pat, I'm, I'm curious, how did the when the festival first started? Like, what did it look like in version 1.0? I mean, you're going on year 18 this year and i know and i'll ask you the question later the grand designs you have for year 18 and it's going to be fantastic the first year what did it look like at, at occ well i will tell you one cute little story uh we started it at nine o'clock and by 9 15 i'd say we had a thousand people there and i remember looking at barry and saying they came they showed up <laughs> i was shocked i was so shocked and we had about 5,000 people come that very first event. Wow. Now, how did it change um, that, that 1.0 version as you've asked? 
it was obviously smaller. We had one main stage. We had a corner, a booth set up where illustrators would show kids how to draw. And kind of, you know, with the OCC, Orange Coast College, where of course you're a professor, um, had like hamburger stand and, you know, chips and some water. And that was it, but 5,000 people showed up, Chris, and it blew my mind that that many people would show up. I think I I was probably in the crowd there, Pat, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) We did have a good sponsor, which was uh, through the register, uh, which is no longer a magazine, but OC Family Magazine. And they do like a six page spread in the middle of the magazine. So we, we had phenomenal partners in that regard. Uh, and more and more people came on board as we continue to grow and expand into the spectacle that it has become with six stages and, and um, a lot of community support. Well, not only do you have large crowds and, and thrilled families and lots of, of corporate sponsorship and assistance, you've had some really big names over the year come to the festival. So do you mind talking about a few of those? Uh, oh, I'd love uh, to. That was, it's a thrill. You, you, know, you know, you had, you had a, a gentleman by the name of Buzz Aldrin, famous astronaut. How was that? As Buzz Aldrin, someone who's been to space multiple times standing there on that stage. Well, I first have to tell you, it was a little dinky stage at the time, you know. He was one of our early on, one of our first uh, presenters on our main stage. And now it's like massive. But at that time, it was maybe, you know, 12 by 15. It wasn't even all that big. Um, He was so passionate about his book. The book was, uh, it told the story of him as a child. And he talked about the book. I think that's called Reaching for the Moon with illustrations by Wendell Miner. Thank you, Chris. And I watched him. I listened to him for a little bit. Then I got called away and had to go do something else. And it wasn't until years later that I was reading that book to my grandchildren that I realized what a great story. I mean, it's a phenomenal story. And it talks about, as a child... He was passionate about collecting rocks, Hmm. collecting rocks. And he tells a story about he he was collecting rocks and was carrying them in his pockets. And one of the bullies in the neighborhood started harassing him. Now he was older and Buzz is younger. And the kid pushed him in a lake. And Buzz Aldrin sunk to the bottom and would not remove the rocks from his pockets because he loved them so much. And a grown-up happened to be there, dove in, pulled him up, and saved his life. Now, I tell that story because in his book, (laughs) he then grows up, and what was his job as an astronaut? Collect rocks from moon. And I thought, I just put that book down, and I said, well, there you have it. Why did he write this book to tell you that if you love something as a child, why not do it when you grow up, even if it's on the outer moon? 
know? And those are moon rocks. So those are some special rocks. It's funny you say that, Pat, because uh, my mother gave me all of my old children's books. And the very first book I love that I etched my name in was a book about a little boy going to the library. And it's funny how those first early books can just set your pathway forward for, for where you become. Wow. That's an important message to really sink in to your, for your listeners. Think about that impact those books are having on little ones. Well, you certainly had some impactful writers. Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress. I know she came and talked about her book, Big Words for Little People, and Today I Feel Silly. How is it to have Jamie Lee Curtis on the stage? She, she was such a huge win for us, and I'll just call it that, because the, when that hit the, the, the press, we got coverage in the AAA magazine, the Register, the LA Times, every local paper. It got, it just got major coverage. And that's the year we went from five, six, seven thousand people to about 18,000. And it was just overnight. Yeah. And it was shocking yeah. to see when you look, when she was on the stage and you looked out at the audience. And you see 1,500 people sitting on the grass, on chairs, uh, standing on poles. She was so popular that it really put us on the map. It, it put us on the map as far as, uh, yeah, this is no joke. You know, This is not a little children's book festival that you see in a parking lot, you know, at the school library. No, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is... This is a real event. Jamie Lee Curtis, Buzz Aldrin, it, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. You, ha you had seven foot four Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the stage uh, talking about his book, What Color Is My World? How was it to have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, this not only legendary basketball player, icon, Hall of Famer, but legendary leader in the civil rights movement as well, too. I mean, this is a man who's helped change the world in so many ways. Can you talk to me about Kareem for a moment? I'd love to, but my first, whenever I think about Kareem being at the book festival, <laughs> I have to chuckle because the first image is not of him signing the books, not talking to all those people, not being on the main stage. It's watching him with these massive legs striding across the campus. You know, it was just like, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Someone <laughs> so tall that his stride was probably about six of mine, you know, and um, just watching the awe in people's faces as he would pass them by, walking from the stage to his booth to the book signing and, and people trying to keep up with him, you know. But I will tell you, uh, besides the cute and fun memories, he had a great impact on a lot of people there that day. He really brought the important message, which What Color My World shared the accomplishments and inventions by African-Americans that we never knew of. So that kind of learning and exposure to Orange County, which is largely uh, Caucasian, heavy, heavy Caucasian, lots of Asian, but low uh, African-American population. So it was a great service, I felt, to bring such an icon 
But as you mentioned, um, a, an, an activist in the, um, in, the, in the right to equality. So uh, I was thrilled to have him and it was a real honor. I picked up his book, Pat, at the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and it's right across the church where the, the, they had the firebomb and the four little girls were killed. And it's one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And I saw his books in the bookstore and I'm like, okay, well, I have to buy that because not only is this a location that mm -hmm. is, it, you know, should help us transform and just tragic location should help us transform who we want to be. But to read that book at that moment, it, it, <sighs> you know, just so, so moving. Well, you, you certainly have brought in even more Hall of Famers. Um, the year I, I came on to the festival, you had some, some unknown man named Kobe Bryant appear. Huh. Can you talk about that? Uh, getting Kobe Bryant to come to the festival. And I know he came to discuss Legacy and the Queen and the Wizard Art series. And this was in October. And, and you know, the tragedy... Um, with his, his death in the helicopter crash was January of the following year. Um, can you talk to him about, how, you know, landing Kobe and, and your experience that day? I have never met a more gracious, more thoughtful, considerate, kind, and dare I say humble man mm -hmm. than Kobe that day. Now, I don't know, you know how he is all the other days. I can only attest to my experience with him that day, I remember thinking all of his huge trophies, his MVP, his, uh, you know, his championship trophies, all the trophies in his life. And we give him this little five by seven fold out acrylic plaque with his book cover and a message of gratitude. And you would have thought I was handing him a million dollars. Just so gracious and so loving. And some of the questions that you asked him were so profound. And I remember the one where he talked about his future yeah. and how he wanted to inspire young children and teens to be the best they can be. And yeah. that was his passion and his line of books that he had in the, in the drawing board, all were about empowering kids. And, and making them stronger and more self-confident and more, uh, more, uh, have more awareness of their own power. And to have that loss yeah. is, of course, tremendous for his family, but it also is for the young people that he would have impacted had he been able to continue his legacy, his own legacy. And yes, Chris, uh, a phenomenal day uh, and a sad one yeah. that January day. Pat, that I did not day. know what to expect meeting him. And, I, you know, in, in our private conversation, I was very lucky to, to meet him before the event and just run questions by him. I was so impressed with the level of work that he had put into becoming a writer and the reason he did it. I mean, he talked about all the famous writers he had talked to to prepare for that and the love of books that he had with his children. And he was just such a smart, creative, energetic, wonderful man. And in, in the 25 minutes I met with him, I, I, I walked away so impressed. And, I, and I've told you in the past, 
you know, I, I was so nervous that day. I left my entire stack of questions in the back room. And as you say, it was a spectacle. It felt like 20,000 people to me, all screaming Kobe's name. And I reached the stage recognizing I did not have a single question in my hand to ask that man. And I turned around and looked at him. He was standing right beside me and he saw the fear in my eyes, <laughs> not being used to that kind of crowd. And he looked at me right in the eyes. He put his hand up to give me a high five. He gave me a huge high five and he said, Chris, you've got this. And he, he was aware enough to know how scared I was and to know in that moment he needed to put me at ease, some guy he did not even know. And, and I will always tell people my brief encounter with him, he was such a warm, generous, creative. He was a dad. He was a dad who wanted to share the love of language and books with so many people. And it was just a fantastic moment. So I yeah, thank you for uh, that. What, what a lovely story. Remember the question you asked him, you said you'd won the you know MVP, you've won the national championship. You won this. You played in the Olympics. You got an Oscar. You got a, you know a best-selling book. You, he says, of all of your accomplishments, which ones are you, which one are you most proud of? Yeah. And Irene, yeah. do you remember his answer? He gave the most eloquent answer to, about playing for his country in the Olympics, about winning the gold medal, and I know he also talked about his future plans for his books and for for movies. Um, the the clip is a little long, but I do believe it's it's worth listening to. So so here it is. So I don't think I can get out of here without asking at least one basketball question. Okay. <laughs> they would boo me off the stage. <laughs> Which is a better feeling, scoring eighty one points in a single game, <laughs> winning an Olympic gold medal? Yeah. Winning an Academy Award, or seeing your books come off the printing press? Man, right? yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> you know, um, but I, I, I gotta say, um, you know, personally, nothing compares to feeling the winning of an Academy Award because. I don't mean to sound crazy or anything like that, but like I put so much work in on the basketball court that I expected to score 60, 70, I expected to win five championships. Like, but an Academy Award came out of left field, right? But that being said, all of those pale in comparison to representing your country. All of them. Because that's something that's that's greater. I mean, it's, that's like, there's no greater feeling in the world than you know, before a competition hearing your national anthem being played and looking around the arena and seeing everybody with their USA flags hand over the heart. And they're like, there's not, nothing compared. It gives me goosebumps just talking about it. So winning a gold medal for, for our country is by far number one. And you did it twice. And you did it twice. <laughs> so Kobe, um, just to let you guys know, I, I now know the secret. He, he told me in the back what's coming next. So <laughs> that question has to be posed. Okay. What's next in the creative process? Well, we, we have more books coming. So like right now we're working on, yeah, so the Wizard Art series goes out five books. So we're working on book two right now. Working on Legacy book two right now. Working on Epica book two right now. We have a swimming uh, novel that's gonna come out that's more young adult oriented. It'll come out in July. Um, and so we have, there's, there's at least five other 
stories from this world um, that are going to be coming out. And now we're working on converting these into feature films, right? So it's we're 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 hard at work, man. So the Wizard Art series will be a feature film. Legacy will be a feature film. All these will be in movie theaters and things like that. So uh, with the same attention to detail. So as you can imagine, it's it's quite a bit of work. That's sort of what you're known for, right? You're going to do it. You got to do it right. Well, well, the next year complications occurred, obviously. Um, because COVID hit and you had to plan for an entirely different festival. Um, yet still, you, you really landed some huge names, even virtually. So can you first tell me what, what it was like having to completely reorient the festival to a virtual perspective and then who you were able to bring in, in in those situations as well, too? Early on, my, my daughter and son-in-law are both in the medical field. My daughter's getting her PhD in public health, and my son-in-law, a former ER doctor, works for a national um, healthcare system. They said, if we're lucky, a year, but we're really looking at 18 to 24 months before we'll have this under control, and that's if we get a, vi a vaccine. So I, I immediately made the decision and ran it, told my board, I didn't ask them, I told them. I said, we are not going to have a festival this year unless it's virtual. And I don't know how we're gonna do it, but I know we have to do it because it will even be more important this year because people will need it. Not just want it, but they will need it. And they said, okay, well, you don't know what you're doing. How are we gonna do this? And I said, I'll figure it out. And I did by bringing in the right team by bringing on people that saw that same vision, weren't afraid to dig in and figure it out. We had to rebuild our website. We had to convince everybody that this was worth their participation, uh, train people how to videotape themselves, uh, run it, get, get a platform on how we would make this happen, redesign everything. We had to redesign everything. That's amazing. So who were some of the guests you were able to line up for the festival? I reached out to my publishers and I said, look, this is going to be so necessary to help families during this crazy time. And we were able to get some enormous headliners that agreed. Uh, one, of course, is the beautiful, talented, funny Kristen Bell, who was just so sweet, so adorable, She'd written a children's book with Benjamin Hart. And he and she did a funny, adorable reading of their book. I also requested that all of the people that were going to do a reading also do a 30-second clip to inspire people to log on and join us. And Kristen did that as well. One of the people that I really wanted was Jason Reynolds. Um, Jason is a New York Times bestselling author. He is the Library of Congress National Ambassador for Children's Literature. He's um, such in demand, uh, especially during the time we were having uh, a lot of racial injustice marches, Black Lives Matter. He was on every talk show. He was on every program. He joined you and Kwame Alexander. 
and Congresswoman Katie Porter on a fabulous, fabulous panel discussion. And it was all about um, how to help raise kids more socially justice conscious. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a year to be remembered for sure. Because Kwame Alexander as well, too. I mean, winner of the Newberry and the Caldecott, author of 30 plus books, the crossover swing. He had a new book, Becoming Muhammad Ali. It was a thrilling moment for me. As I said, when when I when when you asked me who would you like to talk to, and I gave you a list, their names were at the top. And then you added in, you know, you know, congressional superstar Katie Porter, who was you know, also as a parent coping with teaching your children for home during the pandemic and all that was there. And it was, it was just a thrilling, thrilling moment. Hey, Chris, I want to just interject. If anybody, if any of your listeners ever want to watch that presentation, it's on our website and you go to kidsbookfestival.com and click on the link that says virtual 2020 at the, you know, search bar up above. And the, the videos are there and you could just scroll down and watch and listen, not only hear how good you are, but the profound insights that our three panelists provided were, were just over the top. I will link it to our webpage for the show. Well, well, Pat, what does the future hold for the Orange County Children's Book Festival? So what can we expect for 2021 and beyond? Well, 2021 is still... Uh, up in the air in regards to a live event and the the winds are blowing more towards we probably will but we don't know what that will look like just because of the fact that numbers have to be controlled and we've never controlled our numbers we've just allowed people to come in from 15 different entrances around the uh campus mm -hmm. uh, so we're, we're we're still waiting for the final approval from our venue sponsor which is orange coast college and so in the meantime, um, my, my board and I went to work on what we could do for 2021 that we know we can do. So what we wanted to do was do something virtual and do something that would be inspirational. And what we came up with is the first ever, drum roll, <laughs> STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, which of course is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, um, a race to space reading challenge. And we are going to be presenting on October 22nd with the backing, support, and blessing of the Orange County Department of Education in every classroom of all of the schools in the district, uh, we're gonna be launching the reading challenge. And the way we're launching it is that we are gonna have authors of books and some of them are hugely popular authors that are, as Kalaskis has booked for me, Penguin has booked for me, all the major publishing houses. And they're gonna read their children's book about STEAM, you know, whether it's space, whether it's math, whether it's engineering. And afterwards there's a Q and A and then each of the different authors of being asked to inspire kids to join the read reading challenge. Now the reading challenge is gonna culminate with some grand, grand prizes from talking to astronauts that are living on the International Space Station to 
meeting uh, having autographed pictures of astronauts to a two-hour tour of the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena with, I, with just so many, with Discovery Cube mem family memberships, with um, certificates and badges and t-shirts. And I mean, there are going to be countless prizes. And when we presented the idea to the Orange County Department of Education, they were over the moon and pun intended, excited. <laughs> <laughs> and couldn't wait to get the final approval, which we received about a week ago. So we're, we're very excited about the book festival doing something in conjunction with uh, a company called Space Co., excuse me, For Space Co. And that's uh, run by a young woman named Chantal Bayer, who has a lot of connections with the astronauts and the space station and NASA and she's the one that's working to negotiate some of these prizes with, uh, with some out of, the, you know, out of this world experiences. So we're really thrilled about that. And we will also uh, look at possibly doing a live event after that. So it'd be late October. I think that was a, a serious scoop for my podcast listeners of, of what you have planned and drum rolls certainly necessary for that. That sounds amazing. I cannot wait to be part of that. Um, maybe they can let me join that reading challenge too. I would like to win some of those prizes. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Well, Pat, thank you so very much for joining us today on the, on the Lit Matters podcast. And, and for our listeners, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show. Please leave a review. Please tell us about books that you would like to hear discussed. If you haven't checked out the website for the Orange County Children's Book Festival, please do so. Again, all of last year in the festival is up and available, and there were so many amazing moments. Not only the, the social justice panel, you also had a grief panel on coping with, with grief and loss in the pandemic, and so many amazing writers. So please check out that site as well, too. Uh, and it, as always... Head out to your local library, your local bookstore, pick up all of these amazing books. You know the way. Second star to the right, straight on till morning. Keep reading. Pat, thank you so very, very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to Lit Matters. All content is written by Chris Evans and the show is produced by Steve Baldwin. Music was provided by the band Soup. Find them at Apple Music and Spotify.